Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to series two of Coach on the Couch. I'm Louise. And I'm Rachel. And we're going client side again this morning. So we're really pleased to be joined by Matt Mason, who is a partner at Crosstree, a private equity real estate company that mostly invests in complex and dynamic schemes in and around London. So good morning, Matt, and thank you very much for joining us on your couch. Morning all. Morning. And perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit about your couch to kick us off. Yeah, see, I'm not really a couch type of person, if I'm honest. So <laughs> I, um, I, I looked at what, what or where I spend the vast majority of my time sitting down, which is on uh, a Cambrian Brooks saddle on one of my bikes that I tend to cycle in and out of work a lot and around Kent a lot. And that's my couch, I think. And that's where I do my... Yeah, most of my thinking, that's where I do a lot of sort of um, uh, talking to myself, if that doesn't sound too mad. Um, and that's where I uh, focus and relax uh, and really sort of um, work out what's going on, if you like, in both personal and um, and work life. Oh, that's stretching our definition. A it is, isn't it? I feel, like, I feel like I should be on Desert Island Discs and saying, no, Matt, we can't allow you to, to swap a couch for a bike. And it's just so strange because so many people we speak to are cyclists. I don't know whether and I'm, it's and I'm. gentle. Um, so I can see the cycle in the background, by the way, of your, uh, <laughs> yeah. of your camera. It's strategically yeah. placed there. It, I poodle on mine to the shops. I think that's about it. <laughs> um, but Rachel, I think we'll have to accept that. Yeah, no, that's that's fine. Thank We're you. We'll make an exception, but thank you. Who's thank you. The, cycl the cycling guest. community will be will be very will be very thankful of that. Uh... Indeed. Quick formal introduction, Matt. You've been at Crosstree since 2013, having previously been joint head of UK at German listed property company IVG for nine years, and before that, you worked for Project Managers Bureau Four, which is obviously where we first met. And your role at Crosstree is to lead all aspects of your developments. Um, one of your most recent projects is obviously the fantastically successful conversion of Camden Town Hall Annex into one of the hippest new hotels in London, the Standard in King's Cross, um, designed by Orms and interior designers Sean Hausman. And I see from the website that Crosstree is developing a Planet Aware Hotel in the heart of Mayfair as part of the 260,000 square foot mixed-use development. Is this Barclay Street? That's right. It's, um, yeah. Corner of Barclay Street and Piccadilly, sort of bang opposite the Ritz. Any, okay. Anyone that actually does come into the West End at the moment yeah. will uh, will see we're about the only tower crane up at the moment, or the, the only tower crane that went up during lockdown, which is really? uh, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, and is this something you're working on personally, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I'm involved in in everything we do. We're a small team, right? There's only what 16 of us in total in the business, so five partners. There's three in the development team, effectively. So we're we're all very very hands on in terms of uh, what we do and and how we do our development. So the theme through all of this seems to be complexity. I and mean, obviously these are large schemes, very complex. Um, so we thought we'd start by asking you about leadership in that context. Um, and I'm thinking with teams of that nature, you're bringing together a whole raft of different disciplines, different perspectives, different agendas, different strengths. And I'm just wondering how you build consensus some kind of consensus within a team like that well you don't always and you don't necessarily need to always either I mean at the end of the day particularly when you look at something like a hotel and the standards are really sort of is probably out there as the most difficult I would say hotel that you can do not not least by virtue of the fact that you're working in a refurbished building so it's got all the complexities of a normal refurbishment project but then layered onto that you've got a hotelier who is US-based 
you know, it doesn't do development, hasn't developed a hotel for, or didn't develop a hotel for the best part of 18 years and doesn't have any brand standards. So you are building a business from a design effectively. And that's, that's incredibly complex to sort of work out, you know, how you do it. And you do it by starting with a blank sheet of paper, which sounds, you know, a bit twee if you like, but that's how you, you do do it. And gradually you build up the layers to get to the point where you end up opening the hotel that we've opened. But with, with hotels, you have, you know, you, you have a lot of personalities, a lot of strong personalities, yeah. a lot of people with views. I mean, everyone's got a view on, on design, everyone, whether whether I like it or not. And some, some are good and some are bad. And you're, you're doing everything from, from, you know, the curtains to the knife and forks to employing the cleaners, the GM, you know, as well as all the normal development bits and bobs as well. I was just going to say, when we started off there, you said you don't always. I'm just wondering what sort of that you're talking about either conflict or challenge and I'm wondering what sort of level of challenge you want from the consultants that you're working with I think I think I mean that's my, personally I I like to be challenged I like us as a, as a client to be challenged by our consultant teams because only then are you going to get the right answer for some of this stuff I and mean, it's really easy for me to just walk into a room and go I've done this a hundred times before this is what we're doing but I don't know whether or not there's a new technology out there or there's a different way of doing something or there's a better way of doing something that will that will give us a better result so i would always want to be challenged by our teams our job is effectively to to take that information as a sponge and then work out the you know the route through it all to get to the end game of the of the finished development if you like that was our first hotel right so you've also got a learning curve from us and we're going okay he's, he says that so therefore she says that therefore it must be true because they're a hotelier which of course is not always the way. I suppose when you're working on a project of that complexity, you're kind of, you're managing the project through the team, aren't you? So you're managing the team and the team is effectively managing the project. So your role, I suppose, is to, is to kind of leverage the, the potential of, of that team. And, you know, we do quite a lot of work around different management styles and the command and control kind of style would not work in that context. And I'm wondering what style you find yourself using more of. Well, I'm not, I don't think I've ever been a command and control type type <laughs> leader or manager or whatever you want to call it. Anyway, we listen. I listen a lot to, to what people have got to say. And then you use your, your, your gut and your judgment to, to take a view on those things. But it's very much you are giving people a role, you're giving them their responsibility and you're telling them to get on and do it and, and report back and you know, tell us what's going on. And you're there to join all those dots together to translate between all of those people to make sure that we get a successful outcome out of it. Sometimes, that's, um, sometimes that works really well. Other times it's very, very challenging when you've got individuals that want to take it in a certain direction that you just can't allow them to and you have to rein them back in. So, you know, at that point, you do then come that sort of command <laughs> person, if you like, which is no, end of, move back. You know, we're doing it this way now. But you, you have to let, in that environment, I think, people get on and do their job and uh, to the best of their abilities and come up with those solutions before you tell them what you think those solutions should be. Mm. What do you do at the outset, Matt, to sort of set that kind of tone so that people know that you're the type of client who's going to listen and <laughs> want views from people? I mean, I think we have a, you know, a reputation for doing that anyway, but you set the tone in, in initial meetings, in the way that you take those meetings, I think. I mean, we don't, you know, there's no big grand speech or anything like that that says this is how we're going to do it. 
but I think you very much allow people to get on and do their job. So you do it by, uh, you know, leadership, for example, if you like. So you effectively, you're letting people get on and do it, and then you're putting them back in when when uh, when they're not doing it in 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 the right manner. And don't get don't be afraid to sort of get your hands dirty if you like either. So if someone needs some help with something, uh, no matter what that is, then you know get down to that level and help them out and do do a job with them. Um, you don't always have to be sitting sort of high up in the tree, sort of looking at everything and making sure it's sort of all fine. There's no harm every so often sort of going back down and um, uh, um, and working through a problem in really great detail with someone to find that right solution, if you like. And what's that? Obviously, now we've moved to this odd way of working, which is at best hybrid, at worst virtual. How are these things I noticed you've just folded your arms. How are these things working? <laughs> How are these things working in this sort of virtual environment? Well, we're coping, aren't we? All the time you've got, you know, 12 different people sitting in 12 different locations. You know, I, I think you struggle. I think they struggle to feel like part of that team. I think they feel like an individual sitting in their bedroom, personally. I mean, that's what I feel like. And I, and I you know, I'm not as involved in certain things as, say, someone in a design team meeting who who is, you know, integral to something working between an engineer and an architect or whatever it might be. So I just, I think it's, um, I think the sooner we can get back to some way of getting face to face contact, the better. So I realise it's not all your responsibility, Matt. But how can you, as clients uh, and obviously other leaders, continue to lift and energise people? when we're likely to be working in this way for a while? Well, I think you've got to, you know, celebrate some small wins, whereas maybe you wouldn't before, mm. you know, the fact that you've, you know, got a tender out or that, you know, I mean, something, something like Barclays is really good, right? Because it's on site, it's physical, you can see it, right? You go up to the roof last, you know, on yesterday rather, and there's still work there, brilliant. You know, there's, there's, there's small sort of things that you can celebrate, and I think you can get the team sort of motivated to do that, albeit at the same time encouraged to come and have a look at it yourself. Come on, come down, have a look. You know, mm -hmm. our model rooms are done. Come down, have a look, even though you might not be involved in the hotel side of things. So celebrating small wins, I think, are, are important and trying to build a slightly different team culture. And, you know, I think at the beginning of lockdown, we made sure that we were talking to all of our teams uh, at least on a weekly basis. Uh, as in, you know, the principles of all the teams we had, we got them together on a call, you know, five o'clock on a Wednesday or whatever and said, right, how's it going? You know, because it was all fresh and it was all new. And over a period of time, that waned a bit and everyone got used to it. And, and actually, we were comfortable that everyone was doing what they should be doing. And then we came back in the summer and we all thought that that would sort of start to lead into a winter where we would start coming back gradually and that would work. I think it's very clear now that that isn't going to be the case and we need to find ways again, of engaging with all of the teams at a, at a junior and a senior level to sort of bring that camaraderie in some shape or form together. And whether that is doing something, uh, you know, as simple as not project related, but getting the team together in a non-project, you know, field in some shape or form. Um, I mean, I do, uh, going back to cycling, I do quite a lot. I do uh, quite a lot of cycle rides where I, I know lots of people in the industry who ride. And therefore, it's easy for me to say, let's go for a ride on a you know Friday for a couple of hours and have a chit chat you know just to see what's going on in their world to sort of you know keep everybody motivated that we're still doing stuff that as a client we're committed to Barclay and we're committed to what we're doing over in Edmonton and everything else so it's just it's I guess it's more now about the little things that make the difference rather than the big things because we're yeah. in we're in what we're in 
you know that's yeah. not doesn't feel like that's going to change uh, anytime uh, soon they're celebrating the small wins which i think is a really important point and i think you're also right that at the beginning of lockdown everybody was was mad keen on checking in with people regularly and organizing zoom quizzes and stuff like that and there was a sense of uh, well, we can we can all do this and and now it's a different phase of the pandemic and of we've our, all done that yeah so it's bringing it's bringing people together in a different way even those who who don't cycle to keep them motivated and engaged <laughs> and, it's, and, and there's an awful lot we've got to do to support each other through the next few months isn't there yeah i, I mean there's there's obviously a huge amount in the press about mental health pre-covid anyway but I think that we we're really storing up a you know this is a wider issue. A really we're storing up a, a mental health problem in this country from the last six months, and I think the next six months will make it even tougher for people. And just because people are you know, smiling at the end of a Zoom call doesn't mean that they're not struggling in some shape or form. So we you know we just need to be really aware, I think, of of some of the uh, some of the things that are going on in people's minds, you know, as as we work with them. And and look as a as a client, okay. You know, they, they, our, our teams work for other bosses, if you like, they're consultants. But at the same time, you know, we have some responsibility here as a client to make sure that all of our teams are functioning properly and that the people are, are well. Looking out for people's mental health, I think, is going to be really important in the next six months. We've been doing quite a lot of coaching around how people can better manage their mental health and particularly their stress levels um, during remote working. Uh, and some of that has been around time management because we found that in this new virtual world, uh, people are quite often finishing a meeting or a call at 10.30 and then immediately starting another one. Uh, and one of the things that we've lost is that transition time, that kind of time that you would have spent on the tube or, or on your bike going from one meeting to another or even just walking down the corridor. And lots of people seem to be settling into you know, 10, even 12 hour shifts of one call after another. Um, I wondered what you thought about that and how that can be managed. I mean, you know, we we started off with on our internal calls or any calls that we had more than one person from Crosstreon within the development team, making sure that at the end of every call, uh, we stayed on for five minutes mm. to have a chat about what did we think about that, you know, and did we like that? Did we not like that? You know, what's going on there? And actually, are you okay? And all the rest of it. So, so I think that that sort of time management, as you as you said there, Louise, is really important. And you need to try to replicate that idle chit chat on the tube or in the corridor or on the bike or whatever it may well be that you get from finishing a meeting and just going, oh, that was good, wasn't it? Or oh, did you like that? Did you like that? So I think I think that's really important. And I've not yet seen. And, and by the way, right. It's something that we've been looking at and we haven't we haven't done properly yet, but protocols around how 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 you do these calls, right? I mean, the only protocols I've seen are things like in planning meetings where they go, right, okay, everyone's muted. But I mean, protocols internally and for project teams in terms of how this is going to work, who needs to be where, you know, what the system is they need to have, you know, how long they stay on for. I mean, you know, the 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 other big part of Zoom that I struggle with is everyone multitasks while they're on it. Yeah. They don't concentrate unless it's like a threesome like this, right? Where we're talking, you know, everybody else is sitting there going, well, I can just do this email and I can just do that and tippy tap away. And you hear the, you hear the keyboard going <laughs> and it's, yeah. you know, it just, again, not, not effective um, for, for getting 
or for managing teams and for getting the real issues out that you want to go through in a particular session. It's really useful to get those to get those observations from you about how to manage Zooming or MS Teams meetings as we're going to be there for a long time. And I think you're right, building in pauses and gaps and having kind of roundups at the end to check in on people, uh, not being in two meetings at the same time and actually being present in the meeting that you're meant to be at are all useful things. So thanks very much for that. But I was just going to turn it back on the non-COVID, non-remote working and say, I thought it would be interesting to ask you one of your, what's one of the peak experiences you've had of being part of a team? I mean, it's funny, right? Because, because of course, when you're part of a project team, you know, whether you're leading it or whether you're part of it in terms of as a project management function, you know, many years ago, you spend two or three years with the same people really intensely. You see them more than you see your family. And then it finishes and you don't see them again, you know, for lots of them. Well, you might bump into them at a, you know, a cocktail party, if you remember what those used to be like. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you'd see them elsewhere and you might sort of see them in another meeting another time. But you have a really intense relationship. So the most recently would be going back to the standard. And there was an awful lot there that in the last six months needed effectively on-site leadership day by day. Uh, and so myself and James Clark, who is actually ex-Bureau Hall as well, funny enough, but he's development principal here at Crosstree, we based ourselves down at Camden for the last six months. We put together a small team of, of PMs from Tower 8, who are the project managers down there, plus a couple of other guys, David Offord, who Rachel knows well, who used to be at Bureau Corps, with a really good team from uh, from the standard. And predominantly, not that this makes a difference, but it's just quite an interesting dynamic, predominantly all female, came over from the from, from, from New York, and we set ourselves down in the in the second basement level, and we, we got it done. Um, and we managed every single aspect to the nth degree between those people, um, you know, led by... Uh, myself in terms of making sure that we always had someone dealing with whatever it was that they'd been dealing with, whether it be a building issue, a FF&E issue, an OS&E issue, um, an operational issue, and we got it open. And I think that's the only way we would have got it done. And that's incredibly fulfilling. I mean, don't be wrong. It's also very time consuming and takes your, you away from what your, what I would call your day job is and everything else. But next time we're not dragged down into this sort of, you know, it's chaos. Yeah, into the basement of the chaos of getting the job over the line. And, and we took the decision on, on the Barclay scheme uh, to uh, take on a guy called Chris Wyatt, who's from um, ex-managing director of Manhattan Lost, to run Barclay for us as a project. And we now feel as though we're much more in control of, of, of the Barclay Hotel scheme. And it's got offices and retail as well, by the way. But we're, mu we're in much more control of that because of the way that we've set that up compared to how we set the standard up. We learn mm -hmm. a lot on the standard. Um, so doing it in a different way is, 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 is really important. Did you have a wrap-up meeting? Because I know that they're one of the things that everybody always intends to have when a project completes. And I've spoken to so many people who say, mm, we meant to have one, but actually we never got around to it because everybody moved on to their next project. Because you're saying yeah. about that really important lesson that you learned. And I wondered if there was a wrap-up project to, to kind of capture any other lessons from that experience. I mean, we've done it internally, but we haven't done it with the overall team. And in fact, just thinking back, I've only ever done that once on on the Astacus building in um, uh, in Victoria that we did a wrap up meeting on that, and that was a hugely successful job. Went really, really well. And actually, I did that because I wanted to I wanted to sort of really test and probe why everyone thought it was so successful, um, and what we can take from that. 
But have we done that with the team? No, um, mainly because it's, you know, people do move on, but it was a very specific team for a very specific job. Okay. So I think the only consultant we're still working with is Hainton still because they do lots of our structural engineering stuff, but you know, um, and there are other people as well, but, but it was a very specific team to go in, going through what went wrong, what went well, what didn't go so well with them. I'm not sure we'd get too much out of it. We probably would learn some stuff. Don't get me wrong, but we've certainly done it internally. We've certainly done a, a, um, a fairly extensive piece of work on lessons learned, which is part of the reason why we've done uh, Barclay and set up Barclay rather than a completely different way. Um, we also, at the same time of opening the standard, we opened Mama Shelter in, um, in Bethnal Green. So we opened two hotels in the space of three months, which is some going, I can tell you. And we did that a slightly different way as well. And so we've even learned, you know, on the job at the standard in terms of what was working there the month before or the three months before Mama was at the same you know, at the same uh, uh, stage, if you like. So um, it's really important that you get that sort of immediate feedback and, and make things work in a better fashion. It's interesting with that change of team, though, because so many clients seem to try and continue with a similar team on each one. Yeah. I mean, what can't be done. Right. I've tried. I've tried it. I mean, I, because because what what can be done, right, is you can use the same consultant uh, organizations, right? That's easy. You can do that. And lots of people do that and they do mm. get a good service out of various individuals, etc. But it's very difficult to get the same individuals on, uh, on a job. Um, and also part of it would also, might, yeah, part of it is also that you want the same individuals on the job. They may be brilliant, but there's always different sort of, you know, characters and different people that means that they might not get on with that same person or a different person that you, you add into the team. Um, we did many years ago, and you'll remember this, Rachel, we did sort of 25 Gresham Street in the city when I was at, at IBG, and it was an amazing team, amazing scheme. Still to this day, you know, just was probably the best scheme I've ever worked on. And there were so many good things about it. But the, 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 key, the key part of that that made it work was that all of the consultant teams individually you know, in terms of the individuals that worked on the job were all, all at a certain stage of their career. They were all at sort of, let's say, project engineer type role, project architect type role, and good at it and ready to move to that next level. And this was their final job before they moved mm. to that sort of management directorship level type thing. And it just, we hit it perfectly. And of course, they all then disperse and move on to other jobs within their organization in terms of the hierarchy. And so you get the next layer down and they're not the same, you know? So you... At that point, you're you're looking out, if you like, for the next level of people that can do something similar, and that's incredibly difficult to find. So, keeping exactly the same team, and I don't think I don't think works. What what does work is having relationships with businesses that you can ensure mm -hmm. that you can get good people on it. So I used the example earlier on of Hain Tell It Still, and they do an awful lot of our work, and you know we always know we get good people. You know we can ring up, you know, Mark or Tom or Andy and get them to do something for us or make sure that something's happening as it should be. And, and you have no worries about that happening. So that's important. Mm. How do you recognize that Matt, when you're sort of setting up a new team on a, on a project, how do you identify the sort of skills and strengths that you think are going to be right for that project? And what are those skills and strengths? Mm. I mean, I, there's a, a, an ex colleague of mine, Wag would say if they're, Matt Mason's um, uh, procurement um, uh, strategy used to be: if they're a cyclist, then they're in. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, not I'm not quite sure that's quite true, but I think 
I think you can very, um, uh, very quickly work people out whether or not they're going to fit within a project that's fit within what we do in Cross Street. And we have no qualms whatsoever. And we, we sounds like we're doing it all the time, but we, 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 we do it enough that the people that we work with in terms of the organizations, if they bring someone in and they're just not the right fit for us, they may be the best QS architect, structural engineer, services engineer, whatever it may well be in the world. They are just not right for us. Personality wise, they're just not the right person for us. You know, we like, we like, young, dynamic, uh, driven and confident people, you know, in our, in our team. That's just, you know, I've always liked that. Uh, yeah, it goes back to what we said right at the very beginning of this, which is, you know, we like people to challenge us. We like people to actually sort of push us as a client as much as anything else. And so therefore we like those sort of people who have knowledge and, and will do that in that way. And you can tell quite quickly within the team who cannot do that. Um, that's for consultant teams. I think for contracting teams, it's much more difficult because they become much bigger. And then, you know, and then you start to lose much more control over subcontractors and their teams and et cetera, et cetera. But certainly for, for professional uh, consultant teams, I think you can work it out pretty quickly. Um, and we tend to get good people working on our schemes. We've got nice schemes. That's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I've, I've been part of those big project teams as well. And, and people fundamentally want to work with people that they like as you say, the ones that they connect with and feel that they can form a relationship with. And of course, for those people who are at that stage of their career now, project architects who are looking for their next move up, for example, making that sort of impact and impression, sorry to go back to the virtual world, but making that same impact and impression when you're meeting in a virtual room is that much more difficult, mm. isn't it? I mean, I guess the teams that you're working with now were teams before, so you haven't had to set up a new team in this context. Correct. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think we could do it, don't get me wrong, because again, we, we you know, we would work within the supply chain that we currently, that we've worked with for, for some years and that we know well, we know, we know, we, you know, we have good, strong relationships with people. But even that, setting up a new team now to do a new job, I just, I'm not sure how you do it without, at least some element of face-to-face -face in the first instance, you know, to get everyone in that room together, um, to see what their body, uh, um, what their reaction is to things, um, you know, how, how they deal with things, et cetera. I think you have to do that. I mean, they've got to go and see a, they'd have to go and see a building for a start, right? You know, or something, mm. you know, something tangible. Yeah. So they've got to, so everyone's got to get out. Um, I, I feel, I, I really feel for, if I think back to the, my early days, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how you learn in this environment. I'm not sure how you move on in this environment. Okay, let's. We're coming towards the end of our time together, Matt. So I'm thinking, let's go upbeat and let's talk about the future. <laughs> <laughs> you know, lots of things were changing in the world anyway, pre-COVID. They're changing even more now, and I'm just wondering what your sort of predictions, as it were, might be for whether it's hotel development or development generally or London. How do you see things sort of emerging from now? I mean, that's inc it's incredibly difficult to say mm. because no one's quite sure where this is going to sit in the pantheon of sort of great historical events, right? You know, and and I think I've said this before, but in thirty years' time, how are people going? How are people going to look at this uh, this crisis? Was it a gross overreaction, or actually, uh, was it the beginning of the end of civilization? I don't think that, by the way, <laughs> but uh, you know, but but. So it is difficult to say. I think in the normal world, as I would expect it, which is by 
by hopefully spring of next year, we've got some semblance of um, of a grip on on this. We start to see international travel happening. I think which is massively important for the world, let alone London and the UK, um, in some sort of controlled fashion. In, a, in, in much more uh, um, much more than it is at the moment. I think that brings cities back into life. I think people coming back to the office. I don't think for one minute that the office is dead. If anything, I think what this has proven is that you need a space where people can uh, congregate, where they can get together and share ideas. The office may change a bit um, mm. and how it works and how it functions and what it looks and feels like will change. And it was doing that anyway. It was evolving anyway. You only have to look at you know, the new design of, of, say, the Google headquarters over at King's Cross to see how that is sort of developing and where they're moving to. Um, so I think things like that will change. I think in the hotel sector, you know, um, people love getting away. People people will still want to travel. So we don't see that there's a, a massive shift there. We think there is a, there is a you know, there's a two-year hit, if you like, right now um, to, to the hotel world generally. But that will come back. And and if anything, you could see it coming back stronger. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday about would would you go to Mipim, you know, next year? Yeah, not next year because I don't think it'll happen next year. But would you go to Mipim again? And there's two schools of thought, right? Some people will say, well, I haven't really missed it. Other people will, will say, actually, I'd love to sit down in the south of France and talk to some people over a glass of rosé because I haven't actually done that for the best part of a year, eighteen months, whatever it may well be. So I think that social interaction will come back because it has to, you know, and it will. It will be gradual, but it will come back, and it won't be it won't be life pre-COVID, but it will be pretty damn close. Well, that's, that's a nice, fantastic. optimistic thing to, yeah, to end on. So, thank it's you very much. All, for it's joining all going to be all right. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> it's all going to be all right. You heard it There's here nothing first. to see here. It's all going to be all right. <laughs> fantastic. Thanks very much, Thanks, Matt. Matt. Really appreciate you joining us on the virtual couch. Thank you. Thank you.